Shana Tova, Gemar Tov, it's nice to have you all here. <clears throat> so I've had many favorite moments since coming to this community a year ago, but one that is at the top of my list is that yesterday there was a line for the mikvah. Ooh. Now the mikvah <laughs> is a ritual immersion pool that we have here at the synagogue and it is uh, something that's used for moments of transition in one's life, it's used for conversions, it's used for purification, it's used for many things here. And the fact that so many people wanted to use it yesterday in preparation for Yom Kippur is a sign of just how big a sinners everyone here is. <laughs> And also the amazing resource that this mikvah that we have in our synagogue is because we have one of the only ones in the area. We are the mikvah for people in almost all of Philadelphia, in uh, most southern New Jersey. It's us here. And so I do want to say before we go further and publicly, Rabbi Cooper, to you and to Lori, thank you for building this mikvah. Thank you for maintaining this mikvah. It is a treasure for all of us. It has been used by so many this year. We have done over 110 conversions at our synagogue here in this mikvah. That's from all over. And I have been privileged to be a part of many of them, and I led five for students who wanted to convert this year. And at every moment, uh, the conversion process is one of education, you learn a little bit, you uh, become part of the community, and, and part of the conversion is a moment where the candidate sits down with a group of three rabbis and we ask them questions, you know, why are you here, what, what, is, what did you like about Judaism, what's the blessing for a banana, like things like that. <laughs> and, some of these questions are factual, they're about the person's stories, and then we, all, we ask them a series of questions at the end that are actually go all the way back to the Talmud. The Talmud prescribes when a candidate comes to convert, you are supposed to, but you don't turn them away three times, that's just TV. You say to them, according to the Talmud, What did you see worthy about the Jewish people that you want to be a part of it? Don't you know, the rabbis tell us, we have to say to every conversion candidate, don't you know that the Jewish people at the present time are anguished and suppressed and despised and harassed and hardships are frequently visited upon them? Essentially, it's not so great to be a Jew. Why would you want to join this group? And if the person says, I understand all that, but I want to be here, the Talmud says, we accept them miyad, immediately. That's it. All you have to do to become a part of the people, according to the Talmud, is just align yourself with us and our fate and know that when the bad guys come, they're coming for you as well. Now, I've asked this question hundreds of times over my time as a rabbi, and we ask it a little bit nicer than that now, but we still ask this. And over this past summer, when one of the candidates would come to convert with us, we asked the question. This is a couple of weeks ago. And we said, 
knowing what you know about what it means to be a Jew, do you bind yourself to the Jewish destiny? And this young woman took a pause and a deep breath before she said yes. And in her pause, I didn't read hesitation because she didn't want to be a part of the Jewish people. It's that this question of, do you really want to do this? Don't you know it's not so great for us and there's some people that are, really don't like us out there? is unfortunately more relevant today than it has been for a long time. This question is at the front of our minds because anti-Semitism, the prejudice against or hatred of Jews, is something that we can never forget and that we can never unsee. It's known as the oldest hatred, and it's been around since before Rome, when animosity towards Jews was mostly ethnic, and with the rise of Christianity, it also became religious. A hatred of not only who we are, but what we believe and how we live. Anti-Semitism has become economic, political, theological, and of course, genocidal. We know what it is to be hated for existing, abused and oppressed, blamed for things we had no part in, relegated to specific industries or specific neighborhoods, you name it and our people have endured it. There are plenty of reasons why someone might not want to choose to bind themselves to our destiny. And this country was supposed to be different. A golden Medina, a golden land where we would have freedom and opportunity and security. And to be clear, that is to a great extent true. This has been the most tolerant and welcoming society our people have known. The Jewish community in America, the most prosperous, safest, largest, and most diverse that we've ever been. That isn't going to change, and we aren't going anywhere, but anti-Semitism, which has always been there with us like an unwelcome traveling companion, is making its presence known more and more to the Jews of the United States. The Anti-Defamation League says that since they started keeping track decades ago, anti-Semitic incidents are this year at an all-time high. And in some ways, that the numbers are going up is actually an indicator of strength. It means that the ADL and the FBI work hard to track these incidents. We Jews have perhaps the most robust anti-hate apparatus ever built in this country. Thank God for that. We are safer here than we've been anywhere else. And yet synagogues all over, including this one, have heightened our security in the past year. Our children can attend whatever college or university they can legitimately get into, but once there, they might face anti-Semitic rhetoric, where anti-Semites are given a platform at this very moment to spew hate just miles from where we sit today, where just before Shabbat, someone vandalized Penn's Hillel building. We feel rising threats to our beliefs and our values, and much more importantly, rising threats to our safety and our security. I'm not trying to be an alarmist. I promise I'm not. I'm just naming a fear that has been growing in my gut this past year and has perhaps been growing in yours. I'm confident in our ability to weather these storms and do it here in this country. We do, in fact, live in a great society where we have the support and friendship of most of our neighbors and our legal system. We've endured much and can endure more still. Yet I am all the more conscious of the words of the Talmud that they pose to a potential convert. Don't you know that we are, we are oppressed? Why do you want to join? There are many dangers we face. And today, there are ways out if you want it. 
It used to be that the non-Jews wouldn't let us out of the ghetto. Now anyone could stop practicing and identifying, make their way out of our shared fate for good and for bad. It sometimes surprises me that more Jews don't take the out of assimilation. And it surprises me all the more that over the last 10 years, the number of people converting to and connected with Judaism has gone up exponentially. I want to be clear, I say converted and connected because even if a person chooses not to go through the conversion process just by loving a Jew, making a Jewish family, whatever it looks like, they have joined themselves to our fate. We as a community are here and are going to be welcoming to those who are committed and connected to our community. We appreciate them for taking on this identity in many forms. Because what I realized as that brave young woman this summer accepted the dangers of her new identity as a Jew is that this is something our people have been doing for millennia. Choosing Judaism since the very first time someone chose to be a part of our people. The story is told in the book of Ruth that Ruth was a Moabite, a non-Israelite, who marries an Israelite man and lives with his family in the land of Moab. A plague kills her husband and his brother and his father, leaving the Israelite Naomi and her two non-Israelite daughters-in-law to fend for themselves. Naomi must return to Judah to return to her Israelite family where she has some hope of assistance, and she counsels her daughters to return to their families as well. She tells them that she has nothing for them, and that coming with her would only lead to a life of destitution and want. One daughter heeds this warning and chooses to go back to her family of origin. Ruth, however, refuses to leave her mother-in-law's side. She makes her intentions clear in a statement of love, commitment, and conversion. She says, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. With this declaration, Ruth becomes, in the eyes of our tradition, the first convert. It's important to note here what this conversion means, what Ruth is committing to and why. Ruth makes her choice to stay with Naomi, not for wealth or duty, not even for the love of her husband who died. There is a faith component, yes, because she says, my, your God is my God. But the book of Ruth does not seem to be about a grand religious revelation. Her commitment is to her mother-in-law and to her people. It is a commitment to live with, suffer with, and be with the Israelites. Her choice is based on the love of her mother and the love of her chosen people, a choice which gives us King David, her great-grandson, and also Bimera Biamenu, the Messiah. The story of the first convert is one of peoplehood, and surely her choice is a part of our legacy today. And while Ruth is the first convert, Choosing Judaism is something that predates her and goes all the way back to the beginning to the very first Jew. Abraham made a choice too. Before God came to him and said, go, the rabbis imagined that Abe was a wealthy idolmaker's son. He could have lived a nice life in the family business, but he just knew that idolatry wasn't right. He knew there was only one God. And so when that God appeared to him and said, go to a land that I will show you, he went. Abraham's moment of conversion, his moment of commitment, was born not out of peoplehood. There was no people yet. It was born out of belief. His choice to believe and to stand up for what he believed in earned him the nickname Ha'ivri, the Hebrew. Ha'ivri means on the other side, because in the matter of idolatry, the rabbis say he stood on one side of the issue and the whole world stood on the other. 
One could not really blame Abraham if he had, take, if he had not taken a stand. It's hard to uphold popular, unpopular views, hard to hold one to one's convictions. It takes courage. He knew something wasn't right about the world, and he chose to stand up for what he believed in, even though he was the only one. Abraham's choice to stand up has been made by countless Jews over the course of our history, and it is a choice before us today. The first convert made a choice. The first Jew made a choice. So too, the first leader of our people made a choice. Moses was a young man growing up as a prince in Egypt. He had it all. He lived on the main line of the Nile. <laughs> he had the best education, great connections, his dad's Amex card. He was a member of the highest rung of society. And one day Moses is wandering and finds himself in a bad neighborhood, not a place where he usually goes. As he walks, he sees one of the authorities beating some low-class slave. He shouldn't care. Perhaps he should even be proud of his government at work, but something inside of him makes this scene startlingly intolerable. Moses intervenes and saves the slave's life, even though it means risking everything in his comfortable life. Something inside of him snapped, and he had to act. We're told in the Torah that before Moses acted, he looked kovacho, this way and that, and seeing no one, he smote the Egyptian. One way of reading this is that Moses was looking to see if he would get caught, and seeing that no one was there to turn him in, he acted to save the Israelite and killed the taskmaster. This makes sense that Moses would be wary of being caught because he had more to lose than perhaps any other person in the entire country. His status, his wealth, his safety, his very life. Who knows what possessed Moses to step in and save the Israelite in the first place? But we can understand why he might have wanted this to remain a secret. But a later rabbi, the Nitziv, saw it differently. He gives a reason for Moses' action by citing a Mishnah. In a place where there is no person, strive to be a person. Essentially, the Mishnah is saying, if no one else is going to do the right thing, then you have to do it. This idea puts a very different slant on Moses looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck the taxmaster. Perhaps it means that Moses looked and saw that no one else was going to save this poor Israelite. Since there was no one that was going to do it or could save him, Moses knew that he had to be the one to act, even though he had more to lose than others. Moses' choice to act, his commitment to action, sets the standard for all of us today. Peoplehood, belief, and action. These are what make us who we are. We build off the choices of our ancestors and we live in their legacy. They're also what make us hated by those around us. Our commitment to peoplehood can be misconstrued as clannishness and fear of outsiders. Our adherence to belief in care of the stranger, that the system should take care of the poor, and that Israel has a right to exist make us targets. So too our propensity for action, for wanting the world to reflect those beliefs and acting to try and better the world can make us despised by cynics and scapegoated by those who would create fear for their own gain. The hatred of anti-Semitism is ancient. The problems are deep and complex, yet the solution, such as there can be one, is simple. How do we fight this? We must be on watch to be sure. We must continue to push against the forces of anti-Semitism wherever they are found. But more importantly, we need to do what the anti-Semites hate the most, live good Jewish lives. 
that the best defense is a good offense is an old adage and may have been said about Judaism and Jewish life many times. Deborah Lipstadt, the U.S. Special Envoy for Monitoring and Combating Antisemitism, wrote exactly this this past week. She writes that her wish is that Jews will respond to anti-Semitism by combining a relentless push against anti-Semites with an even more energetic pull towards their tradition in all its manifestations. That they will respond by demonstrating pride in who they are and solidarity with others facing persecution for who they are. It will be shaped by a sincere accounting of the beauty and power and wisdom of Judaism and its values that this can serve as a model to other groups who face relentless hatred. Our greatest need right now is not coming up with more ways to fight the anti-Semites, but with more ways to strengthen the commitments to our people, our practice, and create a vibrant and inclusive Jewish world. On Yom Kippur, we admit our failings. This year, each of us should add the ways in which we have failed in creating this vibrant Jewish world. We haven't lived up to the examples of our ancestors this year. Like Ruth, we must commit to our people. Perhaps we have sinned this year by not standing with those people, not giving our time, our energy, and resources to Jewish institutions and the Jewish community. In the year ahead, let us make sure that we are committed to strengthening our Jewish world. Let us also make sure that we stand up for all people who suffer from hatred and bigotry. May our amazing anti-hate apparatus work for the good of all. Like Abraham, we must commit to our values. If our sins this year were sins of losing focus on what is important, let us work to return ourselves. We should learn about our values. We should teach them and stand up for them, even if we feel like we are standing on one side and the whole world stands on the other. And like Moses, we must commit to action. There have been times this year when we didn't act, when we let someone else do it or let a problem or injustice go unmarked. This year we must look this way and that, and if we do not see someone, then it is our job as the heirs of Moses to take action. Peoplehood, beliefs, and actions. We, we recommit ourselves to these in the year to come to be worthy, to be worthy of our great ancestors, to honor the choices they made, the things they sacrificed for us. But we also must commit to living good Jewish lives of peoplehood, values, and action, to be worthy of those who have chosen their, to throw their lot in with ours. We should concern ourselves not only with the second half of the Talmud's question, don't you know they want to kill us, but with the first, what did you find worthy about the Jews? There is something worthy here. There is something good about Judaism. It is known by many, people who have converted, people who have not converted, but are nevertheless committed to us and we to them, and people who choose to actively be a part of the Jewish people. And that includes everyone here, because this is a choice that we all make to be a part of this people. There is something worthy to be found in our tradition. Let us commit ourselves to ensure that this year we make sure that everyone can see it. Shana Tovah.